0: believes in me though he die yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die do you believe this they wanted to get to Jesus but couldn't they came these women because they wanted to preserve him and soften the sting of death with spices and with love but they were wrong again because Jesus came to end the sting of death for us. Not to cover us with simple spices and ointment, but to cover us with his blood. They were coming to Jesus to preserve the memory of Jesus. But Christ was coming out of the tomb in order to preserve our life. It's the book of Revelation that describes Jesus as the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood see it's the exact opposite of what the women think it is because they don't understand who Jesus is they don't have to get to Jesus they simply need to open their hearts because Jesus is coming to them but the containers it's all they can think of remember that game that we all played as a kid? Jack in the Box? It's like a box, you know? It's sealed. I remember Charlie in the Box from the Island of Misfit Toys. Never understood what was wrong with Charlie by the way, right? Seemed pretty normal. But Jack in the Box is the box, you know? And you're cranking and you know what's in the box but you're a little bit afraid to open the box, right? Once you open the box, you start laughing. This was before the age of creepy clowns, by the way, okay? Just play with me on the analogy, All right, It's wonderful, it's fun, but it's not supposed to be that way. I think that it's quite possible that many of us are looking for Jesus in the wrong place. We see Him as a historical figure. But in the end, He's everyone else, isn't He? We come to church to learn lessons... We remember even His compassion and sacrifice on the cross. But an empty tomb? Ah, that doesn't work. See what this story is telling us is to not put Him in a place where He is not. If you go to visit the tomb of every other major prophet and religious figure in the world, you will find them there. But if you go to the tomb of Jesus, you will not find Him. He's not there. He's alive. Well, maybe he's not just a historical figure to you. Maybe you are a believer and you love Christ. And like the women, you want to reverence him. And you want to perfume him and you want to love him. But you're not expecting to encounter him. No, he's very safe in this box right here. So we're going to keep him there. You could be loving and kind and wrong. See, Christ is risen from the dead. He is in heaven. But He's here with His Holy Spirit. You can still encounter Him today. Are you willing to open your heart for Him to come in? You don't have to find Him. He'll find you if you want to be found. But it's so much safer to contain Him, isn't it? But what about the disciples? The women's expectations are shattered as they recognize and hear and remember what Jesus said that he would rise from the dead. And so they run from the tomb back to the disciples. I mean, can you get a picture of these women running with their spices and linen, full pedal to the metal, back to share this news with the disciples? So they go and tell the twelve. And what do the twelve do? But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. This word "idle tale" in the Greek—it's actually a medical uh, term. It's the same thing as a a, a delirium that's caused by a fever. Have you ever had so bad of a fever that you start mumbling in your in your uh, sleep and it doesn't make any sense? That's what these disciples are seeing. They don't believe these women. I'm sure their communication is very lucid, but it's so beyond the bounds of their understanding that they don't want to hear them. And the women are crushed. Jesus will appear to them, won't he? And he will rebuke them. He said, I told you. Why wouldn't you believe? And the reason they wouldn't believe is because they saw him die. Okay, the Romans were experts in a couple of things and one of them was killing people. Okay, here was the Pax Romana. Basically, they level a place and make it a desert and call it peace. And they knew how to kill someone and they saw him die. They saw him taken down. They saw him speared. They saw his body. And they knew he was sealed and a guard was over him. And so what was their problem? Unbelief. You know, when the women came to the disciples, do you know where they were? they were in an upper room somewhere and in fact it said that it was locked because of fear of the authorities so my question for you is this who's in the tomb jesus or the disciples see the disciples are living in fear their life is shrunk to about 15 square meters they're not living They're simply existing. Their lack of faith has led to fear because they bought into the naturalistic explanation of the world. You live, you die, that's it. The truth of the matter is that many of us are living in a tomb created by our own fear and lack of faith. See, if this is sealed you can't get out of this then we have to have a fear of death because life is fragile my friends it really is make a mistake crossing the street or someone's not texting or paying attention and you're done it's true fear of death if this is the only life we have fear of making a mistake what if I choose the wrong path what if I marry the wrong mate What if I make the wrong decision? If all I have is one life? Maybe you're on the other side, right? You're not living just in fear, you're living in regret. All the shackles on your ankles from the mistakes you've made, from the people you've wronged. You're in the tomb because Jesus is in the tomb to you. And if he is, you should be afraid because life is fragile. I'm so thankful for Luke 24, 36 that comes along and it says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and See for spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And they saw and they touched him and they realized that this was no longer the answer to life. Well, almost all of them, right? What about Thomas? Thomas wasn't there, was he? He missed out. And they got to play the part of the women, didn't they? Oh, Thomas, you, got, you, you cannot boy, Unless I touch him unless I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Well, Jesus appears again, doesn't he, to Thomas? Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him and tells us, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen And yet, have believed. Christianity is not a blind faith. As I say, it's rooted in history. You can apply historical principles to what happened there. Many have tried to disprove the resurrection and come up empty, become believers. We haven't seen Christ, I've never seen him. And yet, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, of things unseen. And based on the evidence of my words. On the testimony of others. On the testimony of history. On the simple reality of the hope of life. You must make a decision. See I believe that we all have our backpack in life. We're all truly hoarders. Right? If this is true. All we have in the world is this life. And so we begin to accumulate and we enjoy. But the end, in the end, we hold on to it. We clutch onto it because it's all we have. And not for very long, right? No U-Hauls behind hearses, are there? We hoard it. You don't own things in the end, do you? They own you. There's a gravitational pull of death. You know, but the reality is there's something else that's in this backpack. It's not only the things we try to hold on into life, but there's the regrets and the sins and failures of life. And without hope from the grave, this backpack gets heavier and heavier and heavier. See, if Christ has not been raised, then any Christian faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. And those who have hope have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have no hope, if this life only, then we are above all people to be pitied. I think that's why I may be like Peter the most. The last one, right? The disciples heard and they said, oh, it's an, they're raving. They've gone mad with grief. But there was one who dared to believe in hope. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Why did Peter get up when all the rest? I think it was because Peter was broken. Remember, it was Peter that had sat in the courtyard. It was Peter that had promised to Jesus, even if all fall away, "I will not." "And it was Peter who had betrayed his Lord, to a servant girl, to another person, to a third, he, and hearing the rooster crowing, looking straight in the face of Jesus, he went out and wept bitterly. See, Peter had betrayed God, and he was gone. Peter had betrayed himself. What happens when you can't live with yourself anymore? Where do you go from that? There's no way to go back and undo the past, is there? But when Peter heard that the tomb was empty, he saw a chance for redemption, a chance for resurrection, to be free of this backpack of sin and shame. See, if Christ has come back from dead, if he has overcome sin, then he can overcome mine. The hope of Easter is this: that we can lay down our backpack, that we can open it up, that we can give our failings, our faults to him. indeed, that maybe in the end, we can end up becoming the people that we once hoped we could be, if we realize that it's only through Christ that there's a hope of resurrection. It's only through him that there's hope for the world. See, Christ came out of the tomb so that you would never have to be imprisoned by it. I'm the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. Do you believe in this? I finish with a story. One of my favorite missionaries, his name was William Borden. 1904, he graduated from a Chicago high school and he was an heir to the Borden family fortune, so he was already extremely wealthy. But he was also a believer in Christ. For his high school present, his parents gave him a trip around the world. And as this young man traveled through Asia and the Middle East and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the world's people. And finally he wrote home about his desire to be a missionary. One friend expressed disbelief that Bill was throwing himself away as a missionary. Bill took out his Bible and he wrote in the back of it simply two words No reserves. In other words, I'm staking all of my hope on this truth that everything that I need, that all my treasure, is to be found in him. And so he arrived on the campus of Yale trying to look like one of the freshmen. However, his classmates noticed something unusual about him. And it wasn't just that he had lots of money. One of them wrote, he came to college far ahead spiritually of any of us. He'd already given his heart in full surrender to Christ. And his classmates learned to lean on him and find a strength in him that was solid as a rock because of his hope in Jesus Christ. During his college years, Bill wrote in his journal, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Borden's first disappointment in Yale came when the university's president spoke about the student's need of having a fixed purpose. Borden wrote after that speech in his journal, he neglected to say what our purpose should be and where we should find the ability to persevere And the strength to resist temptation. He lamented this empty humanistic philosophy that said there's enough in life here. Let's forget about this as though it's not a reality. And so he went to work loving people on campus. By the end of his first year, 150 freshmen were meeting for Bible study and prayer. By the time he was a senior, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in such groups. He would... Head out to the bunk houses of New Haven and find the lowest of the low and minister to them and to the widows and to the orphans. Borden's missionary call narrowed to the Muslim Kansu people in China. And once he fixed his eyes on those goals, he never wavered. When he graduated, he turned down some high-paying job offers. I'm sure there were temptations to step into his role as an important person of society but Bill took out his Bible and he wrote two more words no reserves were the first the second was this phrase no retreats he went on to do graduate work at Princeton in New Jersey and when he finished, he sailed for China because he was hoping to work with those people so he stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic While he was there he contracted spinal meningitis within a month 25 year old William Borden was dead. When the news of his death was cabled back to the US the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper. A wave of sorrow went around the world. Borden not only gave away his wealth but himself in a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice. Was Borden's death ultimately a waste? Not in God's perspective. As the story has it, prior to his death, Borden has written two more words in the back of his Bible. Underneath the words, no reserves and no retreats, he is reported to have written the words, no regrets. How can you live a life that has no regrets? How can you live a life that seems, in the world's eyes, to throw it away? I think only if you understand the truth that life is not found here. Life is found in Him, who is the author of life. And in Him, I need not fear the grave. Because in him I'm immortal. There's one more box that I didn't bring today. It's the box that contains the ashes of my oldest son. I have four beautiful children, two other sons and a daughter. What an answer is there for the world, from the world for that box? You live? You die, it's over. But I and you need not fear death because one has risen, one has popped the lid off death and shown it to be the sham that it is. If only for this life we have hope, we are to be pitied among all, above all people. But there is a time when the trumpet will blast and Christ will come. I think that's why he's in my closet. Because I want to be the first to see him when he bursts forth from the grave and we find out that it's all true. All of it. No reserves. No regrets. Christ was all in. You don't have to go looking for him. He'll find you. So make your decision. Take life of the world, which ultimately will lead to this. Or take life in Christ, in which this is really shown for what it is in the end. An imposter. Christ went to the grave. Christ went through the grave so that you would not end up there that's the hope of Easter that's the hope of the resurrection let's pray Jesus forgive us we want to play it safe we want to contain you but you are uncontainable. Lord, rather, let our hearts desire to be contained by you. To say yes to you in everything. Lord, help us to experience the resurrection in our hearts because we die a moment every day as we live in this world. And if we were to only listen to it, we would for sure be consumed but Jesus, your voice continues to speak for you are alive and real and so our hope is built on nothing less than you. Pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.